working at, at public television at PBS, and they said they wanted to acquire that film. I said, okay, then hire me as a producer. So that was kind of the beginning. Uh, and that did happen, although for a number of years, and until even now, I still do a great deal of editing and am involved on the editorial side of my film. So um, I think, especially, I'm assuming most of us, uh, since independence is your brand at Tallgrass, um, we're kind of fiercely independent. And I think it's not... Um, unusual for filmmakers to wear almost all the hats in the work that they do. So I, in, the, in this more recent time with uh, No Fear, No Favor, I shot the film as well as producing and directing it. So you do what needs doing. And um, I've been lucky to work with terrific editors uh, currently, but that's still an enormously important part of the filmmaking process to me so i think i think those skills help you think as a director you know certainly when you've been an editor and you realize that everything that people did right and everything <laughs> that they did wrong comes down to you um that's good training uh, i think for director yeah very cool great um suzanne do you want to tell us how you got into i know you're yeah, sorry, I'm just still working here. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I would say a little bit like um, like Mira, I actually started in fine arts as well. I mean, I studied fine art, um, and but I was, I don't know, I was at the beginning, I was very attracted to film all the time, but more as a viewer. That's how I started. I learned film from, from watching films for many, many years before I even started. Um, daring to think that I could make films, but that's, I guess that's how it starts sometimes. But um, um, I, I would say this is my first feature documentary. So I, I'm i a late bloomer, I'm 42. So <laughs> just to say it's no, uh, it can be a, a journey to, 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 it's, you know, it is what it is. Um, but just to inspire and say, you know, it's 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 never too late to to make your your first film. Um, this film particular is also that I, that I made is also a personal story. So um, I would say it's a film that took took on a lot of work and also you know um, it it just also took time to finance and we can go into all that later. <laughs> so it's a long process and I think. In, in documentary, of course, it's. Um, I also filmed one part of my, a good part of the film, also because of the, the style. It had to be this way, and the access because it was my own family, so it was natural to 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 have it this way, but also because of the, the, the style of you know or the the. The nature of making documentaries. I think often you end in this situation, especially if it's your first film that you film. Uh, I didn't edit it myself because oh, yeah. I had a, a, a an editor, experienced editor, luckily. But I think, um, you know, it's a very, very. Um, it's like it's like revisiting and doing your film again when you edit it. So I would I would say it's really an important process. 
and yeah, yeah. yeah that was just a short introduction, but uh, yeah, and I'm from Denmark, so I just so maybe yeah. I have a completely different angle to how did I get into film. I, I I'd love to tell a little bit more about it. Maybe I can say in Denmark we have you know we have public funding for, for film, and that is mostly how people at a certain level do their film. So, so, so we. Uh, there's a national broadcast, of course, and then there's a DFI, the Danish Film Institute. And I was lucky to be in a development lab first with the film, and and then they 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 do portions where they support films at, at different stages. So this is um, this is public money, and therefore I think it's also important that films should be, of course, that the female filmmakers should have access to film. I mean, we can go into that as well, but I have opinions on that. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so even in a very equal society like Denmark, there are, of course, still things to work on, like everywhere in the world. Yeah. But yeah, that was a long introduction. <laughs> no, it's great. And thank you for having me. Yeah, we're so excited. Nice to meet you, and thank you, yeah. Yeah, so Kathy, tell us about your experience and yeah, getting into this industry. Absolutely, and, and uh, it's great to meet everyone. Oh, and thank you um, for having me um, here as well. So for me, it really was about two paths that sort of uh, converged. And one of them was uh, through music, actually. And so my undergraduate degrees in music, and you know, there's a number of projects I've done over the years, and I co-founded an independent, started off with an independent music production company. Um, and now, of course, we're doing films. And then I also had a path where, um, as part of uh, a large nonprofit organization, the YMCA, I did a lot of work on storytelling. And so it was mainly, you know, uh, small sort of videos um, uh, about people's lives and the, the changes in their lives um, through the organization, the YMCA that they were part of. So I had sort of this storytelling piece and sort of small videos going on, this work that I was doing around music. And then I came upon this amazing story about um, women in tackle football. And so it really just started off as, gosh, this is a story that needs to be told. Um, and so it, it's my first sort of feature documentary film to do something as long as that, because um, everything else had been these smaller projects, um, music video projects, storytelling videos, and, and wanting to do it in a way like any sports film and have some really strong music in it as well. So it really was the convergence of this you know, experience in storytelling, experience in music, and it, um, through a, a number of different factors that came about, we just ended up deciding, you know what, I'm just gonna, we're gonna do this thing. We're gonna do it ourselves. Um, originally, I was trying to just produce it and find someone to actually direct the film. But through a few sort of starts and stops that happened along the way, it just became um, this, this thing where it just had to be, for me, it just had to be done. Like there was just no other choice. I needed to tell the story because, um, and we'll talk a little bit more about the film, I know, but it really just came down to these amazing women and as well as the men that are helping them along the way here that, and, and a story that a lot of people don't know. So I was really compelled to get into this project and um, it's about six years of, of shooting and everything else. So we're extremely excited to finally have it, um, to be at the point where people are going to begin um, seeing it. And, you know, and we also have just amazing uh, team of people that are part of the project as well. Great. So if everybody um, 
We, we are on Facebook, so if anybody wants to comment or ask questions, if you're just joining us, we are talking to um, some filmmakers from this year's, uh, their films are in this year's uh, virtual Tallgrass Film Festival, so definitely join in and ask your questions. Um, one thing we always like to ask, and you guys can just jump in um, if you if you want to respond, but um, we always like to ask if you've ever experienced any struggles um, particularly being a woman in this industry or just in general and how you overcame those struggles? I think, I mean, what I would say to that is I haven't really personally experienced a lot of struggles and I'm pretty new to it being an industry, right? Like, but in my, my efforts around storytelling or filmmaking, um, I, I've, I think we tend to attract a team of people that are somewhat like-minded in terms of that come from a perspective of equality and equity. And so I haven't really personally experienced that. However, my film is a lot about women who are in a situation where there's like no frame of reference for them. You know, the lead character was playing football when she was 10 years old and played on her high school boys team. And so the world, I, I think oftentimes, um, there's this idea that people begin, whether they're working with someone or in a sport playing with someone, where maybe you may be the first female that they've either encountered or worked with in that setting. And oftentimes, I think people aren't really sure how to react to that because their frame of reference has already been sort of molded for them. And we can talk about whether that's right or wrong, but it's sort of like their reality that they're coming from. So I think it's more, you may hear, you know, when I talk to people, I might hear from folks like, oh, you directed like a sports documentary. Oh, wow, you're, you're a woman. It's like, yeah, but I mean, that, I don't know that that's really important, but, but I get that there is a frame of reference that people have. So although I haven't really experienced a lot of, you know, something like, a, I don't have any really negative stories to tell, but I acknowledge the fact that oftentimes it is something that's, that's different for someone where they're first sort of maybe hearing about it, or I might be the first person they've met that's filling that sort of a role. For sure. Yeah, I think, um, oh, sorry, go ahead, Renee, were you going to? No, I was just, you, you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, you know, I, I probably started quite a bit before Suzanne or Kathy, and so <clears throat> I think it really was a bit more unusual, you know, for women to <clears throat> not just be in a, maybe a producing role, but also sort of generating everything about a project when I started out. And so sometimes um, it was a little bit uh, not overt that there was uh, what I would, I guess you would characterize as the sort of hashtag me too sexism. It wasn't that, it was just the, the feeling that you had to be that much better prepared, that much um, better at what you did. You had to have that much more cred uh, in a way um, in, in your previous work, um, simply to be taken seriously as someone who was rightfully in the position as um, the creative drive behind a project. And I think that's probably less true now, but um, the first feature that I made, which was, um, we actually we had a screenplay by John Sayles, and it was a film called Enormous Changes, based on stories by a woman writer, three stories by a woman writer, Grace Paley, who's one of the great sh American short story writers. And that was, at the time that we did it, it was almost like a dog walking on his hind legs, you know, to come in and, and be looking for the, um, 
uh, financial backing to do something like that. And we were very fortunate, and both I and my partner at that time had done work that was visible enough, you know, to to sort of give us a little bit of traction. But at every point, you realize that you were sort of the first ones out there, um, you know, sort of claiming this space um, to do the work and to, you know, um, be running a, running a crew. You know, at that point, there were very, very few women DPs or gaffers, or, you know, people in those sort of key crew positions. So, um, it, you know, it was kind of jumping in the water, learning experience, you just having made documentaries, um, then running a crew of, you know, 30, 30 people in a, on a fiction film was taking those skills. And, and I think you have to just run with the passion, among other things, and also, it doesn't matter what era you're living in. If you don't know something and you are honest about it, um, people respect that. You know, they, they come forward and they're, they're uh, I think for the most part, there's goodwill uh, in, in, in taking care of, you know, people who are um, uh, clear about what they do know and what they don't know. You know, everybody sort of um, steps up for that. But um I think when you love something and you're passionate about it, um, you can count on that. You can rely on that. And um, I don't know if that's really answering exactly the question that you're asking, but I guess I think that that, that, that reads, you know, that has, that has authority. Um, at least in my experience, it has. Yeah. Are we ready to talk about the films? <laughs> Go for it. Um, yeah. So let's start with, um, let's start with, with Suzanne. I know yours is a very personal, um, obviously very personal, uh, film. And I just got to watch it the other night. And it was great. And so tell us a little bit about, um, I guess I'm really interested to know, um, obviously talk a little bit about, about it. And if, you had planned to make it a film at the beginning or did you just plan to, um, you know, talk to your family and I don't want to give anything too much away, but, um, I was kind of thinking that while watching it, like, is she, does she want to make this a film or did she decide to do this as you started finding some things out? Um, uh, really interested in that process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, when I start, <laughs> I would say when I started, it's true. I, I, I had these uh, initial questions to my, especially to my grandmother, but also to my parents. It's a, it's a person, I'll, I'll go back and say, just because the audience hasn't seen the film, it's a, it's a three generational piece. It's a personal story about my own family. Um, it's documentary. It's, um, it's a film about, you could say it's a film about a trauma in a family and how it's sort of, transported to the next and the next generation. So more than telling a story about what happened in the past, I wanted to tell a story about how the past is still among us or uh, affecting us today. So that, that was sort of, that, that was my, my question or my sort of search. Can we talk about this, what affected all, all the generations, maybe in a lesser form from generation to generation, and, and, and how 
I mean, is it is it possible to have a conversation between me and my grandmother about these things and also my parents? And a little bit of background, my, my grandmother was, um, I mean, I've, uh, she was originally from Hungary and she was a Hungarian Jew and she was in concentration camps or in, in, in work labor at um, at some yeah famous camps. Um, and naturally this, this, you know, given these circumstances, it, it, it affected her life in many, many ways. And, and, um, and we always, I mean, it's, it's, it, we always knew these things. So it's not like it's, it's a new, it's not like I'm discovering within the film <clears throat> what happened to her, but more how it, how it affected her. So that's, so it's like, it's more like an emotional discussion or a discussion is so intellectual. It's more like the emotional connection between generations. So that's what, that's what my film sort of, that's what I wanted to investigate. And that's, that's why I'm coming to your question because I wanted to investigate it for myself first and foremost. So therefore I think um, it's, when you ask the question, is it is it was it a personal project to to understand better for myself? Yes, I would say to, that was the first and initial uh, what what started it, and also you know very basic questions to understand you know to understand her better and to understand why we are in this situation together and how yeah. How we how we are together and can we move from there how, what can we do from there so that was the starting point yeah well it's available now so if you have your um, purchasing tickets or tall passes we can uh, make sure we share links or I'm sure um, we can get inf info from Arietta too on that because um, we don't want to share like the actual film or anything like that because we want people to make sure they're purchasing that but um, make sure that you guys everybody knows where to go to to watch the films and it is available and it's called It Takes a Family and it's a really amazing story and um, we hope to see more um, from Suzanne in the future it's really awesome um, Mira do you want to tell us about your film and I'm really excited to know how it originated and all of this. So, <laughs> sure. sure. Um, no fear, no favor is um, is set in wilderness areas in sub sub-Saharan Africa, and um, it, it it's a film. I think, like all of our films, that came out of um, you know something that is a real passion um, for me and. Um, a number of films, actually from the beginning, the films that I've made of uh, almost all my personal films have dealt with women, with minorities, with people in places that are not well known um, to the rest of the world. Um, those are things I, I care about enormously. And in this case, I've been very involved, um, as has my husband, with uh, conservation uh, of various kinds, particularly um We've been active in a group called the Nature Conservancy. And when we were, uh, my husband was speaking at a medical conference in uh, Cape Town in South Africa. And so we spoke with the Nature Conservancy about things that they might be doing in terms of wildlife protection and anti-poaching work um, in South Africa. And they said, well, 
we don't have a program in South Africa, but we have kind of a new project in Zambia. Would you be willing to take a look at that? And I said, absolutely. Um, they put us in touch with their people in Zambia, and uh, I brought equipment, and one thing led to another, and over a process of several years, I wound up filming in uh, mostly in Zambia, a great deal in Zambia, and then also in Namibia and in Kenya, particularly in North Kenya. And the story evolved from looking at the issue of decimation of wildlife and um, the problems that people in these areas face um, with poverty and with uh, really abandonment by their governments in many ways, and how that how poverty and poaching are intertwined in um, throughout Africa and certainly in these areas where you have charismatic, iconic wildlife. And what had begun as a story about anti-poaching really morphed into a story about community conservancies and um, my desire to make that story available, particularly in this country where that model doesn't really exist. We have a different set of circumstances here, but I feel it's incredibly important for us to know about this and to support it in other parts of the world. Um, community conservancies do exist outside of Africa, but I think they can play an enormous role in Africa. And the premise is that the people who live there are the rightful stakeholders and beneficiaries of uh, caring for their wildlife rather than uh, exploiting it in ways that destroy it and their ecosystems as well. It can be forests, fisheries, uh, all, all kinds of, of, of things that happen in the natural world. And of course, uh, in Africa, this is their real treasure. I mean, ecotourism is um, right behind extractive industries is the fastest growing sector of the African economy before COVID-19 and COVID has had a huge impact sadly, on conservation along with other things. But um, the, 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 the story as told through the experience of Africans who live there is how they have come to participate in conservation um, as a way to assure the future for their children and their children's children. And so it's a very intimate story. There are five or six main characters, one of whom was a serious elephant poacher for years. Um, and was um, apprehended and subsequently became, um, uh, well, I don't want to say too much, see the <laughs> film, <laughs> but um, the, the... I saw it last night. <laughs> I saw it last night. Um, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Um, but the, the important thing for me was um, for people to tell their story and for us to experience this as as it's experienced by the people who live in these places. And that, that question of responsibility for sustaining um, natural ecosystems, wilderness, the future, it impacts all of us all over the world. We know that now. And any of stories like mine are, are, are things that we can uh, transfer you know, to our own situations wherever we live. So I hope that's what people will take away. But um, in, in, in the most immediate sense with my film, it's a way to bring people into those landscapes and to help them understand what the stakes are and hopefully what the future can be 
Um, and it's not expensive. It's not complicated. It's grassroots and we can do it. Um, so that's what No Fear, No Favor is about. Yeah. All right. And Kathy, so Open Field is not available yet. It premiered, you said it, the actual premiere is Thursday, right? Yeah, so we yeah. have we have a premiere at another festival earlier on Thursday, so it's going to be available for the Tallgrass Festival um, after that 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 night. On yeah. Thursday night. So tell us about this film. I'm really excited about it. Sure. So it's it's basically um, a story about women who play tackle football, and it's told through one primary character, Sammy Grisafi, who grew up in California playing football since the age of ten. Um, and she ended up becoming a part of her high school football team, which was a division one high school, like a, a big high school team in California at the time and became quarterback for her freshman team. Um, so she had this entire background of playing with the boys um, her whole life. And she went to Chicago and while she was at school in Chicago for um, for the university, she found out that there was this women's uh, semi pro team, the Chicago force. And so she became the quarterback for the Chicago Force. Um, and so, you know, it turns out now there's, you know, over 60 women's tackle football teams in the United States alone, and hardly anyone knows that fact. And then beginning in 2010, there started to be world championships. Um, and so she became quarterback for Team USA and represented uh, the United States in three world championships in 2010, 2013, and 2017. And so there's also teams, you know, from all over the world. I mean, this is actually a, a fast growing sport among women. And so the, the concept here around, you know, one, people not knowing that this exists. I mean, if, if football, if tackle football were in the Olympics, like these women would be gold medal athletes, for instance, like that's the caliber of athleticism um, that, that they have. And yet, very few people know about it. And so through her story, though, you meet many other women that are, you know, at the top of the game, the trailblazers um, of this sport, including Katie Sowers, who became um, the first full-time coach um, and the first NFL coach uh, to be female and coach in a Super Bowl uh, just this year. And so she came out of those women leagues um, as well, was part of Team USA um, and went on and now works um, with the San Francisco 49ers. And so the story really, although it does have a bit of a hero's journey of this one person's sort of um, journey through football from a very young age, along the way, you meet all of these other players and trailblazers in the sports, as well as those who are supporting them, which are a lot of men. So you, you get introduced to Sammy's you know, high school football uh, coaches um, from back in her high school days, as well as um, the coaches that coach... Uh, the women's teams now, uh, the national teams, and you meet folks from other teams um, in other countries as well. So, you know, our the persistent question for me throughout the story is asking these women, why do you play football? Because one, why do you play a sport where there's very little opportunity when you're young to play it? Why do you play a sport that now as an adult, very few people know about it. There's, a lot of, there's not a lot of publicity, money behind it, but yet you keep showing up and playing a sport that's also a very, very physical sport that takes quite a toll, um, you know, mentally and physically on you. There's a lot that you have to sacrifice to do it. Um, and so that's really kind of the persistent question. And I think this, this, these groups of women that are making this happen, and as well as the men that are helping them um, throughout this, really are sort of breaking how we, I think, breaking the mold in terms of how we think about women in sports in general. 
Um, one of them in the film has a line where she says, you know, this is like the last frontier in women's sports for women to really be, you know, seen as athletes and, and playing. So as you can imagine, there's a number of other sort of social themes that come out as a part of that journey um, as they're going through. So when I think about even, you know, the title of this podcast of Ceiling Breakers, I think about these women that I, you know, spent so much time with over a number of years and they truly are, I mean, they are truly, you know, the heroes of this story and are the ceiling breakers um, that are happening through through what they do. Awesome. I um, I am, have gotten to see No Fear, No Favor. I've not yet seen Suzanne, so I'm hoping to see that tonight. And I'm really looking forward uh, to um, Open Field. Um, I played rugby in college, and so um, I'm, I'm definitely very interested um, in, 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 in seeing this now that you've described it to me, for sure. So... Um, well, I think, um, you know, as I'm listening to you all talk and these different journeys that you've gone through as filmmakers and the different, you know, topics, um, you know, each each of your films is so diverse in, in the topic and the stories it's telling. Um, but I'm just really curious as, as we have hopefully some young filmmakers, um, both men and women watching this, if you have any advice kind of in this day and age of anybody who's interested in into getting into film is there any sort of tip or wisdom or something that you would pass along to them to um help them kind of get started on their own journey and that that's up for up for grabs <laughs> uh, i'm i'm sort of willing to maybe being the longest at, at this uh, among our wonderful um group of panelists today and i did also Kathy has inspired me, as did Suzanne's film, to specifically give a shout out to the women in No Fear, No Favor, because they're doing things like really dangerous undercover work in the anti-poaching world. Literally, you know, their lives are at risk doing what they do and making incredibly difficult choices every single day to do the work that they do, because protecting animals in, in these, uh, on the front lines of the poaching crisis is no joke. Um, and it is also, as I said, protecting the future. So it has a lot of um, layers, let's say, to, um, to, the, to that choice, you know, that, uh, of how you're gonna live your life, which is also an answer for the young filmmakers. And I think it's, for all of us, you know, you have to get up in the morning and say, why, you know, what, why do I do what, I, what I'm doing? I mean, it, I'm in a different stage in my life than a starting out filmmaker would be. But um, if you're thinking about doing this, you got to start close to home. You have to start with what really matters to you and what you care about. And then you have to assume that once you start on that road, you'd better be surprised if you wind up finishing a film, having made exactly, you know, kind of the thought you originally had in your head when you started out, you know, maybe haven't dug deep enough. So it's a sort of combination of a, a kind of um, burning need, burning interest, burning curiosity, burning passion, and then a complete leap of faith, impulse-driven, uh, Im improvisatory instinct, um, you have to understand when the story is telling you you need to go somewhere else 
you need to be paying attention to something else. So it's wonderful, you know, it's like exercising all your muscles at the same time, uh, which is holding on to the original uh, source of power, you know, of inspiration, and at the same time, being exquisitely open, you know, to what you're, I'm talking about documentary filmmaking, but I think it's the same in any filmmaking. It's, you know, I, I do theater and fiction work as well, and it's true there also, but you, you've got to be open to what's coming in that's informing you of something different from what you might thought might have thought you were doing, you know, at the very beginning. So I'd love to hear from my fellow filmmakers about this, but I guess it's it never gets easier, I don't think, ever, and maybe it shouldn't, but those things I've found are constant for me. Um, it has to be a powerful enough wish to, to keep you going for five or six years, or for long it might take, and it has to be fluent and fluid and and responsive enough to take in new situations and to build on them and go with them. And lean on your community. You know, if you have passion for something, other people will catch fire from you and you have to trust that. You have to ask for it and feel that what you're doing is worthy of it and believe in it. Um, and it will come to you. You know, those things, those things do happen. Well, I can only echo what, what Mira is saying. It's, I think if, it, I mean, if you're with a film for five, four, like you said, so many years, you, I, like in the situation I am now, I'm really thinking what should be my next film because you're going to be, it's going to be such a big part of your life. So, yeah. One more thing I could add is also uh, what helped me is is there are institutions that support first-time filmmakers and maybe uh, talent labs or I don't know what the situation is in the U.S. but there are foundations, there are philanthropic uh, or if you are, if you belong to any sort of community or on a you know, on a municipality level, even maybe there's a film course, or you know, to 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 seek these opportunities um, that absolutely and and to have sometimes there are mentorships or there are. I mean, I, I I'm just thinking on a practical level how you could uh, approach it, and it certainly helped me to um, to be in a develop. I was in a, a talent development lab for Nordic filmmakers, young or like first-time filmmakers or second-time filmmakers. And that was the initial access to, to uh, for funding in a way, because that way I could uh, pitch the film to broadcasters in the Nordic area. And uh, I think it's, it's um, I mean, you have to start, I mean, I think you really have to look to these institutions as well, because they are there and they actually, uh, because sometimes you feel okay, it's it's an unaccessible or ex how do you say it in English? <laughs> it's hard to access this world, but actually there are many um, institutions that actually want to make the, the structure more flat and want you to tell your stories because that's initially that's their job. That's that's why they're they're there. So you shouldn't be too afraid to approach these um, yeah foundations on every level. No matter where you are in your in your career, yeah, there are many in the and United many, States. Yeah, there yeah. are many private, uh, you know. I mean, from 
you know, Sundance, but there's all the way down, there's, you know, there's, they're all, yeah, and you know a lot more about it, but yeah. Well, there, and there are many opportunities for uh, film communities on both coasts, on, on all coasts, you know, in Texas, on the West Coast, in the Middle West, in the East Coast, there, and uh, again, women filmmakers have, you know, women in film, New York women in film, regional women in film organizations, Film Fatale, um, they're all over. I mean, if you care about being a filmmaker, you'll find these places. And there's a much bigger connected community than when I started out. And also getting equipment, getting access to equipment that's affordable and that you can you can begin making. Tangerine was made on an iPhone before it was popular to make films on iPhones. So if you've got a great story to tell, there are so many more outlets and so many more ways to get those stories seen also than when I started. It's, um, in many ways, it's a, a kind of renaissance moment, I think, particularly in a way for fresh voices, new stories. You know, people, uh, there's, a, there's a tremendous stream of places for stories to be shown and told. And the appetite is uh, enormous, even for short work, you know, things like Quibi and other short form work. So I would just say, you know, there are lots of opportunities and it, it's it's really a question of you as a young person or an early filmmaker, whatever age you are, um, organizing, you know, your passion for something and, you know, getting the equipment and the community together to make it happen. Um, even for a very small amount of money, films don't have to be expensively made. I do think that there are serious gatekeepers and there are the equivalent of studio systems that come into play, um, no matter what the platforms are, you know, digital platforms and places like Netflix and Amazon and Disney Plus, um, now being the big gatekeepers, but you don't have to go that route. You can start another way and get your work seen. And by the way, festivals are the biggest uh, avenue now for for, the, uh, for filmmakers in a way to, you know, plant their own flag and to stake their own claim um, to the validity of their work if they aren't already established. So festivals are increasingly important in that way and very, very useful for early filmmakers. Thank you, Tallgrass. <laughs> yes, yes. I think, I mean, so much has um, already been said that I, there's not much to add to it, ex except I, I think I might just, on this idea of storytelling, um, I, I think it's just start telling stories. And, and even if you're not um, filming it yet, but sitting down with people and first listening and creating space for someone to share their story, I think is really important in getting really comfortable, um, especially in the documentary realm with that. Um, and so just doing it and then it, it you know, it, your story can be a few minutes. It doesn't have to be this big film right away, but just start telling stories. And then, you know, as you do begin to do, you know, take on something like a larger project that, I, you know, I completely agree with this idea that you've just got to get yourself, you know, sort of associated with some other people that are going to care a lot about the story that you care about. Um, and I know in our case, that just made a really big difference. Uh, and I feel like it was pretty amazing. We just kept having one thing after another that, you know, just when we, we weren't sure if the door was going to open, a door opened, you know, so whether it was, you know, filming the 2017 World Championships and, you know, in that case, 
I wanted to make sure that we had just a really fantastic cinematographer. So it's also, I think, knowing when you do need to invest and put a little bit more money into something and when maybe, you, you know, you don't and just kind of thinking about that, like, what are these moments going to be? And when the San Francisco 49ers opened their doors to us and, and let us come and spend like two days with them. So I think there's this whole relationship building piece with people um, that are going to help further your ability to tell your story. That's just really important. And beginning to have those conversations and nurturing that along the way. Um, you know, and then I think for us, a, another critical moment is when John Alexander came on to our project as the editor. Um, he's someone that helped us shoot um, two days with the 49ers. And then he's also an amazing director um, as well. And he, you know, had interest in editing the project. And so I, I just feel like you know, this idea of just get started, because if I had had every single thing in place when I started this, or if I, if I thought I had to have everything in place when I started, I don't, I still wouldn't have started this film. But what happened is once we got going, various doors began to open and various opportunities and people came on, someone like Rich Daniel that had been filming for a number of years said, look, I'll give you my early footage, you know, from, from back in the day, because he had filmed all this stuff, but he hadn't done anything with it yet. So I think this idea of just getting started, telling stories, um, and, and, and there's got to be that leap of faith that, that I heard that you've just got to know that things are going to somehow sort of work their way out as they need to. Maybe not the way you thought it would at the beginning, um, but it's just that, that getting started piece. And I think often people, what I hear from folks is that maybe hangs them up a little bit. And it's like, just, just go ahead, get, get moving and, and, and things will come. Yeah. Well, I think we could probably talk all day. <laughs> like usual, <laughs> but we're wrapping up on our time. Um, so definitely encourage everybody to check out the 18th annual Tallgrass Film Festival. I shared the link um, on this live. And of course, this live is available to watch afterwards. So everybody share on Facebook. I am trying to record the, um, the uh, so we'll see how the audio is on Anchor FM is what we use for our um, podcast. So I'll share that out with you guys as well. If that works out okay sometimes it's weird with the video especially coming from different places but we really appreciate you all joining us today and uh, we hope everybody goes out and supports all, all of your films all the films um, and the film festival to keep it going and hopefully we'll get to all be together again uh, we wish you were here with us in Wichita this year uh, would have been really cool but um, hopefully it'll be <laughs> better in the future and we were just saying that there are pros and cons to you know doing the the Film Fest virtually, we get to see a lot more films that way, and um, you can just stay in your pajamas and, <laughs> and a lot of other um, involve more people and um, you know do things a little bit differently, which we've all uh, has become the new norm for us. So, um, Renee, anything you want to add? I don't think so. Like I said, um, uh, Stacy shared the link, and so you can buy individual tickets for mm -hmm. those films. If you if you don't have a tall pass or don't think you're going to have the time to, you know, we always encourage people to get the tall pass, especially mm -hmm. now virtually, because it does have access to so many films. And the festival is now 10 days instead of five. So you have a lot more time to kind of um, absorb all of that. Um, so really um, would, uh, you know, encourage people to support the, the film festival with the tall pass. But um, if you would, are interested in their individual films, you can also get um, tickets for those individually mm -hmm. as well. Um, and just um, uh, tall pass is such a gem here in Wichita. Mm -hmm. So we really hope that, um, especially in this time, 
um, that people continue to support this organization so that they continue to do what they're doing, um, obviously bringing filmmakers from all over the world and films and stories from all over the world to Wichita, Kansas, which is pretty incredible. Yes. OK.